thank you to everybody who's prayed for my family. Uh, I greatly appreciate that, especially praying for my son. Uh, he, uh, let, me, let me think, he's, uh, he's doing well. Things are progressing positively, uh, so we are pleased with the outcome. But as you know, something like this changes life in a lot of different ways, ongoing issues, so please continue to pray for him. Uh, the second thing I wanted to mention before I begin is I didn't know that I was supposed to bless the food until Danny said that from the pulpit earlier. Danny, where are you? Is he hiding? Okay. He, you are responsible if I miss this. It's on you. It's not on me. I have a way of calling people out. So far in our study of Isaiah 53, we noted how the servant of the Lord is the center concept of the salvation that God is bringing to his people. We saw in, ver in verse 10 of 52, right before we come into this servant song, it says, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And how would they see this salvation? They see it right here. And the verse in particular we're going to look at, or I should say the part of a verse that we're going to look at is the central pin or the central, central uh, bolt upon which the whole thing hinges. Why is God bringing salvation? Why is he doing what he is going to do through the servant in order to bring his people to glory? I want us to keep that in mind as I read this portion of verse 10 and be thinking about how this shows us God's salvation more clearly than anything else. Verse 10, yet it was the will, excuse me, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This morning when I was in my study, uh, beginning of the day, thinking about things, my son came in uh, early, woke up, came in, we started talking about things. And he says, this past few weeks have just been a blur. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I said, the whole, sem the whole semester, the whole year feels like it's been a blur. Everything's moving so quickly. And he said, yeah, especially these past three weeks. Uh, two weeks, and I said, I know. I didn't know what day was what at certain points. When we began to talk about that, he said, I can't believe Thanksgiving is this week. And that just floored me because I was like, I can't believe that either. Thanksgiving has always been out, and now it's here. And began to think about how Thanksgiving is like an oasis, at least for the nation in general, but especially for those who know the one to whom we are to give thanks. How it's a respite in the midst of life and all types of uh, busyness and everything going on. Uh, sometimes Thanksgiving can, Thanksgiving can be more hectic than we would want to, but still it is an oasis. And as I was thinking about Thanksgiving in light of the message this morning, I thought to myself, no matter what is going on in life, no matter what is going on 
in relationships. No matter what's going on on the world stage, no matter what's going on in your life, on your own stage upon which you live, you can be grateful that God crushed his son. In fact, that's the central thing that you can be grateful. And if you're a believer, are to be grateful every day. The greatest reason to give thanksgiving is the fact that God pulverized this servant. And I want us to think how this is so important for us to think about every day, but particularly during the time of Thanksgiving, because hopefully it'll help us look at Thanksgiving or giving thanks a lot differently. So I want to consider the will of the Lord in the sense of God's will in crushing his son from two different angles. The first angle is simply the concept of the will of the Lord. And look at verse 10, that's what we see. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now what we notice if you're paying attention, and you know how professors like to say, if you were paying attention, you noticed how everything prior to this was focused on the people's treatment of the servant. But we have a change here in verse 10. We see it from the divine work in providence, the providence of God. All of this stuff was going on through man's hands and man's desires and man's actions as God is trying to bring or seeking to bring salvation to the people. And they're doing this and they're mistreating him and all of this is going on and he dies. And yet, God has done this. You can imagine reading through this passage and not really understanding what took place at the cross and say, why would God will this? Man's actions and intentions are one thing. We know what human beings are like. But God is called a God of love. Why would he want and purpose his son to be crushed in such a way by the hands of men? Because what this verse does, it makes, it makes no apologetic. It doesn't try to soften the news. It straight out says, God willed to crush his son. And this, this will either, well, well this, this should first of all shock us and make us instinctively feel appalled. And for some people, that will continue in their view of God. And for other people, they will be shocked and struck and appalled, but they see why God did it. They see that in the crushing of his son, love was expressed in a way that they could never imagine. But there's a hang up on this issue, a hang up on God doing this. There are many liberal theologians, or I should say, uh, more liberal in terms of the, their, their view of what God is doing here, their interpretation would be God is simply being shown to be uh, an abuser 
a child abuser. This is heavenly child abuse that has been promoted throughout theology and throughout uh, the academic circles of our world and many churches view that if God is the one who did this, ultimately then he is not a God who can actually be love. Human reason. We know that, right? We logically reason through things, often in a way that is so hard and rigid, we do not let anything else speak into that. And so right here, I want you to see that if you are shocked by the idea that God would, would crush Jesus, then good. But let the scriptures speak into that for you. Don't let your own understanding or logic lead you away from this God. Because what we will see about the will of God here is a greater love than any man has ever seen. The challenge of dealing with the sovereign hand of God in all things, particularly here in the death of Jesus, has been a challenge to humanity. But we see it's very clear. After the resurrection, Peter gets up and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and he says to the people of the crowd, he said, man, the man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men he makes this statement without any sense of contradiction or paradox. He says, this is the way it is. Godless men chose to do it, and yet God purposed this from before the foundation of the world. The providence of God at work in our lives challenges us to see reality in the correct way. Us as human beings, particularly in our society, has such a pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. The rugged individual, the cowboy. And I love that song, I should have been a cowboy because I say it all the time. Someone who who is in control of their old life, but that's a lie of Satan. You make all your choices as freely as you want to, but you do not breathe a breath apart from God's will. You do not exist for a moment without God desiring you to. And if that wasn't the way it is, we wouldn't live. If you're a human being going to live in this creation, then you have to realize that there is a tension between your choices and the events of your life and the hand of God bringing it about. It's a tension. I can't explain it. I can't tell you how it all operates. And if you have some theologian come up and say that, they're lying. They're saying they understand it all, they're lying. It's a mystery. And wouldn't it be a mystery with the God we proclaim? 
Wouldn't this be a mystery? If God is who He says He is and who we say He is in our confession, then we should never for a moment think that we can understand what God is doing other than what He said. I am doing it for the good of those who love me. What God is doing here in crushing his son is for good. It's for the salvation we mentioned, salvation of humanity, the salvation of God's people. In God crushing his son, what we see is we see God himself in Christ, Paul says, reconciling the world to himself. We also see, as Paul continues, we are now ambassadors for Christ. Through, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The crushing of his son is God begging you to come to him. Is God declaring wide open saying, you don't have milk, but come and buy. You don't have anything in your hands, but you can come to me and I will embrace you forever. That is why God crushed his son. So while human reasoning may look at that and say, that is barbaric. Biblical reasoning looks at it and says, Man is barbaric. But God is lovingly crushing something of himself and not humanity. Something he gave of himself to become like humanity in order to save humanity. Is that divine child abuse? Or is that divine child love? And by that I mean for you. That God loved you in this way that he sent Christ to be crushed so that you won't be. Let me give you an illustration of this so that we can try to understand this. The challenge of what God is doing in light of human responsibility regarding the will of God and the will of man. You remember Joseph in Genesis and how his brothers hated him and sold him off to slavery and eventually was in Egypt and then he was he was put in prison because of Potiphar's wife and then he was in prison a long time and finally he raised to the ranks of, of uh, Pharaoh's right hand. Everybody follow me on this? And then his brothers who sold him into slavery, who intended for him to be dead, and, and several of them would have killed him without Reuben interceding. And when he reveals who he is to them and he sees that they are afraid, he says, what you have meant for evil God has meant for good. What you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. And I say that to everyone in here regarding your life, 
regarding what you have done and regarding what others have done to you and regarding whatever has happened, God has meant it for good regardless of who has meant it for evil. Even you meaning evil against yourself for your own sinful choices. God uses even our sin for our good. Is that perplexing? It ought to be. But he's that good and he's that sovereign. He can take your mistakes that haunt you and use them for your good in the long run. And it may take decades. And you may never understand why or what good has come out of a particular thing. But you can trust that if God crushed his son, that he will bring good to you. So we saw the will of the Lord. Secondly, the pleasure of the Lord. Now, I think you'll begin to see that these two concepts overlap. And they overlap because of this verse and what's in the original. The simple thing that is striking here is the Hebrew original, which implies the will of God actually means that the Lord took pleasure in crushing him. It's the Hebrew word for delight, to take pleasure. It's one thing to think about the will of God, isn't it? It's another thing to think about how it could actually please him. We talked about his love, right? His love for us to do this, but how could it actually please God to look at his perfect son as a perfect father and love him so much and yet crush him. This word to delight in, to take pleasure in, is all, is, it seems to be a contradiction, an oxymoron to delight in crushing someone. We would never put that together, would we? Not typically, but it, it is his delight. It pleased him to do this. Now, in some way, I know that you have wondered to yourself or are wondering to yourself now, how could this be pleasing to God? And I like questions. Sometimes we get nervous about people asking questions theologically that we can't answer, particularly children, right? Out of the mouths of babes, you are stumped quite often, right? Questions are good because you need to think through things. You need to think through things for yourself. And I don't mean outside of tradition or anything like that. I mean, you need to think through how the gospel applies to you. Not the congregation. Not this is a good solid congregation and I'm part of them. Great, that's wonderful. And I would not for a moment say that that is not a great blessing. But the issue in the end is that you have to think through things. And it means even the challenging things such as how could it be pleasing to God to murder his son? 
And we're not talking about simply putting someone to death. We're talking about eternal judgment being poured out upon him. The very judgment that everyone who does not believe in Christ will experience for all eternity, and not just what that one person might experience, but all of humanity, all of the believing world, all believers themselves, all of their eternal judgment for sin, that was placed upon him. Is that crushing? And it pleased God to do this. You got to think about this. God's not calloused and hard-hearted and neither is Jesus. If we don't stop and think about it, what, what it means to us personally and think about what, a, what it goes through, perhaps a father, human father's mind in doing this at least, then we must be calloused. We're entering into the Christmas season. Why did God bring that baby into this world? To crush him. We don't have a lot of cards that say that, do we, at Christmas time? Not that I would advocate that, but you get my point. It's not something we think about. But the fact is, if we don't think about these things, then we will have no reason to rejoice at Christmas. The incarnation will mean nothing to us if we don't realize that Easter is coming. How could this be pleasing to God? Well, to understand this verse, we have to consider who this servant is and what he has done. He is God the Son, the mystery of the Trinity. He is God himself, and he takes upon humanity himself. And as our great um, creeds of old says, he is very God of very God. He is, he is very man of very man. So that means that he's truly and fully God and truly and fully man in the mystery of who he is. And so his person, just who he is, God delights in him. Matthew three seventeen, the baptism of Jesus, the spirit descends upon him and a voice from heaven, his father says, this is my beloved son, my son, the beloved fully beloved by his father. So he, ple he was pleased, he took pleasure in him as a person, as Jesus. But he also is pleased by the work his son has agreed to do and to come do and is carrying it out so faithfully. So his delight in his son continues to increase as he lives his life. Think about why did Luke say he continued to grow in favor with God and men. Because every step he took on earth was in love and was in obedience to his father with such a joyful love for him that the father just continued to love him and love him and love him. He did the will of God, he kept God's commands, kept God's commands which is God's will. He was pleasing to God in every way. So it pleased God that his great purpose would be achieved by the one he loved the most. That God's love would be showed to the world through the one he loved the most.
Christ shows us the Father's love. Christ shows us the Father's love in taking the one he loves most, who is pure and holy of his very nature, but who has human nature fully and is able to save humans from their sins. The Father and the Son together say, we love to do this. Because we love to save sinners. Christ reveals the glory of God instead of a divine, uh, instead of being divine child abuse, it is actually, exactly the greatest expression of love for the children of God ever. No other love could be expressed in this way that God would want to make children out of rebels, children out of those who hate him. It pleased God, it was his delight to quench all of his wrath and judgment in himself. And all the mysteries that is. It pleased him to reverse the fall of creation to bring about a new heavens and new earth wherein righteousness dwells and wherein everyone who knows him will know love and only love forever. God is the one who is doing all of this. Why? We're not always given a reason, are we, for God's purposes? But we are given a reason here. Why would God do this? Because he loves you. And I'm not speaking just to Christians. I'm speaking to God's creatures. He loves the creatures he has made. He has put in provisions and protections upon all his creatures so that season my season may go on and on and on. And so that there might be time for all human beings to repent. And the very fact that he continues to give you opportunity to repent, whether you're a believer or non-believer, is a shining example of his love for you. And in fact, you're here today hearing the gospel of his mercy in his son and being hit in the face and the heart with the fact that God, he loved to, to destroy his son to save you. That is the greatest sign for you today in Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel that he loves you today, whoever you are. And so the decision for you in terms of God's free offer to the gospel is for you right now. Do you love the son who was crushed, the son who was raised from the dead so that you might have life and have it for all eternity? The son who now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, as Isaiah 53 says at the end, he will be exalted 
He is the king of kings now. What are you going to do with him? Is he going to be the central praise for you this Thanksgiving? Is the love of a father for you going to be something that is at least on your mind in the midst of darkness? When you find yourself grieving and not very thankful. Is he going to be the only thing that you can ever look to when your life explodes? Even if that's the way it is, you see a father, an eternal heavenly father that loves you. who has promised to work out all things for your good. You want the proof of that? It's not in how you interpret life, the proof that he works out all things for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose is the cross itself. That is the proof that he loves you and he calls you to his son. Will you go? Will you take him? Because he casts no one out. He is freely offering this to you. And I can continue about the wonders of the gospel. Uh, you know how preachers are, right? And continue going, but what's said is enough. Enough has been said. I want to leave you with this. When you look at this verse from now on, I don't want you to be necessarily horrified, though that's the backdrop, isn't it? Of what Christ had to go through. I want you instead to be warmed in your soul because of the love of God here. That's where we see love. We see love in the midst of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you that you help us in all things, especially the difficult passages of scripture. You help us to see things that perhaps we don't see or haven't thought about. And we bow before you, trusting that you are good and trusting that we see your goodness every time we see and think of our Savior. Help us to cling to him as he fully embraces and holds on to us everlastingly. In Jesus' name, amen.